You are listening to episode two of the Tennis Files podcast. Run it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on episode two of the Tennis Files podcast. Today, we are going to talk to Keith Perrier, head coach of the Navy women's tennis team. Keith was my college tennis coach when I played at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and he taught me so much about having the right mental and strategic approach to tennis matches. Keith has won multiple Division I conference championships, coaching honors, and knows so much about the game. Most importantly, he shares my passion for helping you improve your tennis game. I brought Keith on the podcast to share his insight on how you should approach the game. Here's my interview with Keith. Hey everyone, we're here with Keith Perrier, head coach of the Navy women's tennis team. Keith, welcome to the Tennis Falls podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Mayor Bob. Thanks, Keith. And I'm really, truly honored to have Keith on as the first guest on the Tennis Falls podcast. Keith is an extremely accomplished tennis player, tennis coach, uh, and he's just an all-around, extremely genuine great guy. He was the tennis coach at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County for the men's and women's teams, which is where I played college tennis. And he was really a, a true mentor to me. And I really looked up to Keith for advice on not just things related to tennis, but also life. And Keith now, uh, he coaches at the Naval Academy and he has racked up an incredible about 564 victories as a coach at the Division One level. And that just tells you all you need to know about Keith. Uh, Keith has also been recognized as the USPTA Mid-Atlantic Section College Coach of the Year and the Wilson ITA Atlantic Region Coach of the Year. So he clearly knows his stuff about tennis. I could go on and on about Keith's accomplishments, but I'm sure Keith won't mind if uh, if I start picking his brains about tennis right now. Sure, sure. Some of those facts and figures I didn't even know. Them. <laughs> You'd ask me how many matches uh, I had won. We had won, and, and, and actually, I won't say I. I think because uh, I I played a small part, but it's been on the backs of people like yourself, the players that have actually come. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you so. Thank you for that info. <laughs> oh, no problem, Keith. And that just goes to show you know, how focused Keith is on on the mission, which is to help his players grow and to be successful on and off the court. So thanks again, Keith. And so, Keith, uh, first question for you. What are the most important character traits that our audience needs to have to become successful tennis players? Well, tennis is a sport that you, you can't microwave it meaning you have to put in the time. So I think you have to be fairly patient, but definitely very, very persistent because you're going to have some ups and downs and you know, you sort of have to roll with the, you know, the down times and, and really just, just persevere. And I think all the effort that you put into it is well worth it. It's a sport of a lifetime. And, you know, it's one of those sports. Once you gain that knowledge, you never truly lose it. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, you might get a little rusty, but you never really truly use it. And, um, if you start the game when you're young, you can play into old age and 
it's a game that you can play with your, you know, if you have a family with your family and, uh, you know, if you have kids, you, you can watch your kids grow up and, and they'll go through stages. You know, initially, if they begin to play, you know, if you're a fairly accomplished player, you'll probably be able to beat them. But if they continue to play and they become fairly accomplished, you'll reach a stage where, you know, they're probably beating you and the, the, you know, the, uh, the student becomes the, the, becomes the teacher or the student becomes the master. So it's just all around great game. Right, and I appreciate that advice. And you know, one thing that I I feel is really common among uh, top tennis players is their passion for the game. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about why you're so passionate about tennis? Um, I started playing pretty late. I did not take up the game until I was 16, and I played a lot of sports growing up. You know, I'm a little older, so so 53. But back in, in when I was growing up, soccer wasn't really big, but it was the big sports were football, baseball, basketball. And I played them all. Took up tennis sort of on a whim. I uh, went out for uh, the high school team my junior year. And in a challenge match, I played a young guy. Who, he, I was a junior. He was a freshman. And I'm going out there thinking, yeah, I'm this jock. I'm going to kill this guy. And he beat me like a dog. And he had training. So he and I became rivals first, but then we actually became very good friends. And I, I think it's just something that I took to the sport right away. It was something that really appealed to me. Um, I think the individual nature of it, it has so many different dimensions to it. You know, you're always learning regardless of how long you've been playing. And, um, I, and I just, I just love it. I just absolutely love it. So th- I think that's what really whet my appetite. Um, so it was actually. A match which I lost and lost badly that really got me, got my juices flowing. And after that, once I really got into the game, all the other sports, I pretty much gave them up. You know, I sort of did a little dabble, but tennis just became my, my lifelong passion. It still is. Mm-hmm. Certainly is one of the greatest games in the world, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And so along your path of improving, first off, it's, it's really amazing how you were able to improve from kind of a late start to play in college you know you played two years at Howard and then you uh you played two years at UMBC and Mm -hmm. you know you also went to the Marine Corps from 83 Mm -hmm. to 88 and so what was one of the biggest hurdles that you faced as a tennis player well me personally you know I just think it was uh, my late start Um, that was probably the biggest thing Um, I've always been pretty good with visual imagery, so I could sort of watch someone do something or watch it be done, and I could sort of get a picture of it in my mind and then sort of mimic it. So the strokes came, I mean, I'm not going to say easy, but they came fairly quickly. But again, this game is so multifaceted and has so many different layers. Learning the little nuances of the game, that was definitely a challenge. You know, I have a, a philosophy or a theory. Once you actually have all of the strokes, the strokes are fairly sound, and you, know, you really don't have a, a bunch of holes in your game, and you can hit all the shots. It really takes you about five years to really learn how to use them, and that's five years of competitive play. And then you begin to so, sort of, um, you know, the light, sort of the proverbial light bulb goes off, and and um, I think things sort of become uh, much more clear, become illuminated. And so that was the biggest challenge for me. It's just the um, just learning the little things that it takes to be a really good and successful competitive player. 
That's a very interesting uh, outlook, and I think I agree with that. I am curious about how you came up with approximately five years. Is that what you've seen in your experience and that's coaching? That's what I've seen. Yeah, right. that's what I've seen in my experience. I've actually had players who who've played for me, and I said, you just wait. Five years from now, you know, you're going to have it, um, and it's going to be something that you, you, you know, you, you own. And, and, and sure enough, it, it, you know, you can sort of accelerate it, but again, but that's going to be with time and, and effort and just on court, you know, just really pounding away on court. And if you can do that, sometimes it can be a little bit faster, but, but generally it takes around that long for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the most, in your opinion, fundamental mistakes that you see in your students and, and your players in coaching all these hundreds of people? Probably the major one is getting too wrapped up in results. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, I think, it's very common to want to win. I mean, you don't want to go out and you don't want to, to, to lose a match. But I think sometimes people get a little bit too wrapped up and just that winning part of it, and they don't really focus on the process. And it is a process that is most important. Each time you go out and you play, you're not guaranteed that you're going to win. But so you don't have total control over that. But you have total control over, you know, your effort level. You have total control over your attitude. You know, have total control over how you're going to handle the things that are going to happen to you in match play. So that's probably one of the bigger ones that I see in terms of strokes i would suggest that you you really try to develop your game your, your every aspect or every facet of your game so that you're fairly well-rounded as a player and you don't want to be one-dimensional i think nowadays and you're seeing it quite a bit even in the um the higher junior ranks sometimes players aren't as comfortable up at net they're very good moving side to side but up in the uh, the midcourt area, they're not always very comfortable. So that's that's something um, that players need to work on. And doubles, 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 doubles. I think as you get older, you play more and more doubles. But I think in the um, the junior ranks, the players don't play doubles enough. And doubles is a game that will directly benefit you. It will benefit you in your singles play as well because just that last. Uh, the previous aspect I talked about working on that midcourt, doubles will help you. Will help you with that. So I think doubles, just pl- con- really concentrating on doubles a lot, will really help you games as well. I can definitely second that, Keith. Because in juniors, I have to admit, I was pretty much a ninety-nine percent singles player. Played mm-hmm. a ton of singles, and I came to college, and I, I admit, I had no clue. <laughs> How to play doubles for the most part, um, and yeah. you know, you you helped me a lot with understanding the fundamentals. And then now, when I play in USTA leagues, it's it's mostly doubles. So, and I I found that I really enjoyed playing doubles, and it's helped me a lot with obviously my volleys and explosiveness to mm-hmm. the net and returns as well, directional control. Yep. And so that's definitely definitely true. As far as your point on focusing on the process, I have a story for our audience that I'm, I'm sure Keith. Remember, so my very first match uh, in college was up at uh, the Cornell Invitational, and I ended up playing a guy who I knew from back home, and Keith was watching, and he watched me squander a, I believe it was a 6-1-5-2 lead, and afterwards, Keith uh, sat me down, and he said, Mirban, you need to focus on the process, not the results, and that is so true, because when you think about winning, you just, 
you know, the nerves come on and you, you don't think about executing the game plan. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that has stuck with me through all these years. And it's, you know, it keeps getting highlighted in, in importance at, in all the matches I play. And I, I just like to say, I, I'd like to give you credit, Keith, for one of my articles, um, tennisfiles.com slash mistakes is where you can see it. And um, the very first tip is focus on the process, not the results. That's straight from Keith Perrier, my friends. And to date, it has over 19,000 views, 3,000 likes, uh, hundreds of shares. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of those likes and shares are because of Keith's word. So um, thank oh, you. Thank you, Mary Yeah, thank you so much, Keith, for all the knowledge. Let's go into a bit into uh, some training. Um, you know, we did a lot of drilling at UMBC. What are some of your favorite and most effective drills? Um, it really depends on what you're trying to um, trying to focus on, mm-hmm. and whether you want it want to be live ball or dead ball. You know, nowadays I don't do as much feeding as I used to do because one of the reasons is our team is so large at the Naval Academy. We have a team of sixteen, so it's sixteen of them and two of us, myself and my assistant coach. Um, so we don't do quite as much feeding. We do quite a, quite a bit of uh, hand feeds and we'll do the hand feeds. I think I really like the hand feeds. It really forces the players to focus on their footwork. You really have to concentrate, you know, as well. And it forces them to have to generate their own pace. And we have all kinds of different hand feed drills that we'll do, taking them side to side. Sometimes we'll have them, hitting all forehands where they have to run around and they have to hit nothing but forehands going from the forehand corner to the backhand corner, sometimes just into the backhand corner, but they have to recover back to the center and then you feed it out and they got to get around and, and hit. So that's, that's one of the favorites. Uh, one of my favorite feeding drills is we, we do quite a few. We do one where we call it a double deep drill where we'll set up a line about halfway in no man's land. So between um, the service line and the baseline, and we'll set up a line there and we'll have them going side to side, hitting forehands and backhands. And they have to make a a certain number past that that area, past the line that we have set up there. And we can make it pretty difficult. You know, if they don't, for instance, if each miss, we can begin to subtract um, if they hit into the net, we can make them start over or we can take away a certain number of points. And, you know, so we can make it really, really challenging or we can make it really basic. So that's one of my favorites. We do um, quite a bit of gameplay where we sit sort of situational play. Where we'll put them in a certain situation and then they have to go and, and try to execute that uh, based on that theme that we give them. And uh, one of the ones that we re- I really like to do is we call it shooters. And uh, you start to point off on the cross court and one person is the shooter. The other person cannot shoot. And a shooter means I can, I'm the one that can take that cross court and change direction and go down the line. Mm-hmm. The other player just basically has to keep the ball cross court. Um, and if I shoot and I mean, I change direction and then I don't win the point. I lose one of my shoots and you only get two or three, however many we give them. And then you try to get as many points as you can when you're the shooter. And then once you've lost all of your shoots, then the other person gets a chance to, to do the same. 
and uh, and you can do it on both forehand and backhand side. And then we could also change it up. That one of the variations we we have with that is both players can shoot. And then what happens if you do lose the point at, um, when you when you try to change direction? Now you lose two points instead of just losing one. If you're the one that changed direction, and once you hit that down the line. Um, the ball's live, meaning now you can hit anywhere in the court and you're going to play the point out. So that's one of my favorites. We do that almost some variation of it almost every day when we're practicing. And then there's some others with serves and stuff like that. But those are some of the ones that sort of stand out. Uh, those are definitely fantastic drills for everyone listening. I, I really hope that you try at least one of those drills. Uh, I definitely do remember the cross courts with the rope across the no man's land. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, I hope all your players were able to get that done without going into negatives. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. And then another one I like now thinking of it is, uh, and I think a lot of people probably do this one, but you, you take them and put up a, uh, a rope and you put a rope up over the net and that mm-hmm. now becomes the new net. And generally you'll put it about three feet or so you know, over the uh, existing net. So it'll be about six feet. So they have to clear the net by five to six feet. Um, if they hit under that, um, you can say they lose the point. Or if they hit under that and the ball goes short, then that's when the person can attack. I mean, so there are a lot of different variations of that. But the real basic variation is just hitting ground strokes and you're trying to keep the ball over that rope, trying to hit it over the rope and not have to not go under the rope. Yeah, that's, that's a great yeah, sorry, uh, Keith. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic one too. Because I mean, depth is so important in the game. Um, mm-hmm. If you can hit deep, you can uh, prevent you can your opponent. With, I'm sorry. Play with anyone. Yeah, you can play with anyone if you can hit deep. And always the very very first rule that I teach my students: first rule of tennis is get the ball over the net. That's right. Get the ball over the net. You don't have a chance to win the point. That's right. And yes, I was going to mention during the show, which I will now. When we used to have trouble or we, you know, we weren't playing uh, so smartly, you would tell us to go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, that you talked a little bit about that. But what exactly uh, does that mean to you? Um, well, basic fundamentals. Um, you know, nowadays, uh, and it, it was true back when you were playing, but it's, it's definitely true even more so. You know, now the game is so power dominated mm-hmm. sometimes and players can get overly wrapped up in, in trying to hit the ball hard or, you know, not really focusing on where they should be hitting the ball. And the basics just pertains to um, you, you're in a ground stroke rally, your bread and butter shots, your cross court ball. So you're looking to use the cross court to set everything else up. Um, when you hit cross court, there are actually six different reasons that you want to try to hit the ball cross court more than you hit the ball down the line. The net's lower because you're hitting over the you know, the lower part of the net, balls crossing pretty much down the middle, across the middle of the court. So the net's lower. Your target is much bigger. Your body naturally moves in that direction. You know, your opponent runs more. If it's doubles, you keep the ball away from the net player, you know, so on and on and on. So, you know, that's one of the basics. Getting your first serve in, you know, or at least a high percentage of your first serves in. Um, is absolutely critical and, you know, not, um, you know, going for the home run swing every time, you know, trying to hit home runs and instead focus on hitting singles. 
Um, so try to work on really directing your serve, getting it in on a consistent basis. And then once you've done, once you've done that, then you can begin to move on and try to do, you know, other things, um, with the serve. Um, if you're returning, you know, get the ball back. And then, you know, if you're returning and you can get the ball back and get the ball back consistently, then, okay, return, get the ball back, get the ball back in and get the ball back in deep. And if you can do those two, you know, so you get to return in pretty consistently, you're getting the ball back and getting it back deep. Okay. Then you begin to maybe add a little bit of pace to it or think about directing it to a weakness. And then if you can do those three, then think about adding pace to it. So those are just some of the basics. Um, when you're approach, when you're in the cross court rally and then you get the short ball, um, the uh, percentage play is to, uh, is to hit the approach shot down the line, you know, and, and preferably down the line deep. Um, and then when you come forward to net, if they, if you've got a low volley, you know, keep the ball in front of you. Don't try to go to the open court. So those are just some of the basics. Well, and there's some others, you know, as well, but those are some of the main ones that really stick out. That's fantastic advice. Kind of along the same lines. Um, do you have some, uh, favorite point patterns of yours that the players can utilize to be successful in matches? Maybe like one, two combos or setting up. Uh, the short ball somehow or any favorite point patterns you got? Um, you know, we just sort of um, talked a little bit about the one and that's, you know, the cross court ground strokes and using that to, uh, right. to get a short ball and then trying to, you know, use it down the line to uh, pressure your opponent. So if you're serving, call it wide and glide. So you might serve out wide, push the person out, try to push him outside the alley and then hit into the open court. And then a variation of that is serve him out wide. And then if you have him moving to in that, you know, in the opposite direction, then going back behind him, hitting back into the same side um, that they were just coming from. So that's, that's a, that's a definite pattern that you can use um, a great pattern to be used. I think in return of serve, and I don't think this is often used enough and that is uh, most players think about hitting a return and trying to hit the ball to a corner. And, you know, if you're playing against, a, a, particularly if you're playing against a good server um, or if you're not a great returner, um, and even if you are, a great play is to just drive the return, drive the return down the middle of the court mm-hmm. and just try to, you're, what you're trying to do, you figure if, you, if you're going to drive the ball down the middle, you don't have to worry about missing wide to, you know, to the sidelines. Um discipline yourself so if you're going to miss the only miss that is allowable is to miss deep so you don't have to worry about the net because now you've been giving yourself some margin there as well and so now the only way you can miss is just one miss and that's if you're missing deep so and then from there most players will back up and so once you once you back them up if they hit short now you can begin to hit to the sideline without taking on you know uh, an inordinate amount of risk Um, so that's another play that you can use a real basic play uh, that works pretty well now is one where instead of just hitting the ball hard, you take and you hit a high loopy ball, preferably to the player's backhands. Even if they have a two-handed backhand, they two-handers, they generally can handle the high ball a little bit better. But if you put it up high, if they're going to try to take it on the rise, generally speaking, if you get the ball above their shoulders, they're probably going to hit it short. Mm-hmm. So if they hit it short, now you can step up and you can hit them into the other corner. You can go back behind them. Um, if they back up and they back up, 
to and try to roll the ball back. Once you see them backing up, and if you see them on their back foot and roll it up, you can move in, try to move in and take the ball in the air, either swing volley, regular volley. If it's really, really high, you, know, you can take it as an overhead. Um, so those are just some some really you know, basic plays that um, we work with our players on. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Agreed, Keith. Again, um... A lot of our audience are 2.5 to 4.5 rated players, and you know a- anybody can obviously benefit from playing with these tactics in mind. But mm-hmm. it just goes yeah. to show that uh, you know you can just be solid, just be solid, and you will win the vast majority of your matches. And you don't have to play mm-hmm. fancy; just you just have to think strategically, and you don't have to you know go for broke all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just be solid and think about percentage the game. play will will take you far and you know the game is not always predicated. Most players think that they have to go out and they have to to win the match. Um, I, I, I think more often than not, you have to give your opponent an opportunity to uh, to lose it. And the game is predicated on trying to make your opponent be the one that has to hit the more difficult shot over and over and over again. And if they can do that, that's a pretty good player. That's a really, really high-level player. Um, and then if you, you find, okay, well, they can do that, then maybe you can begin to try to step your game up. And maybe you're not able to obtain that particular level, then that day maybe you lose. Um, but that's going to be rare, very, very rare. Um, you know, if you're playing somebody at your, at your level, um, and you utilize, you know, this this philosophy, you're going to win tons of matches. Right, right. And, you know, there's something that I always appreciated about you, Keith, and also the coaching staff, you know, assistant coaches, Ali, uh, Matt, and everyone else over there, is, uh, you know, even if, even if we lost, if we implemented the game plan properly and tried to, you know, execute as we were told, you told us we did a good job. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I remember... Losing a match, and you guys just really complimented me on my play, and I, I really, really appreciated that. And it's just all about thinking about the game, trying to improve, putting the best effort you can on the court, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that's that's how it goes. Um, that's focusing on the process. Right, right, right. And I'm sure the answer, or at least part of the answer to this next question, will be about focusing on the process. But, you know, a lot of players obviously, you know, encounter huge points during a match, uh, and this is something that a lot of people have trouble. They have trouble playing the big points. So how how should players approach big points? Yeah. So there are a couple of different philosophies, and, and and you know some people feel like wow, it's a big point, and you know I have to do something special. But you know what you'll find with the pros is they have the same they go they have the same outlook regardless of the score. They're going to play every point the way the point is supposed to be played. No more, no less. Now, pros, they do get nervous, just like anybody else. And when they get nervous, and if they're playing a big point, 
they go, they go right back to what we talked about a little bit earlier and you talked a little bit about the basics. Mm-hmm. And, you, and so that's when you'll tend to see the really, really long points. You'll see a lot of cross courts. You won't see as many changes of direction. Um, you sometimes can't see it on TV, but they'll increase the height at which they're hitting the ball over the net. They will really focus on just the fundamentals. And I think if you do that, that helps to alleviate your nerves because people get nervous when you begin to think about, you begin to think ahead. If you think ahead or if you think about what happened previously, if you can stay in the now, that's going to help to alleviate your nerves. And, and you know, you have to really focus on what am I trying to do right now? What do I need to do? You know, you might focus on after playing a point, for instance, and you're getting ready to go into the next one, how did you win or lose a previous point? If you lost it, was it something that you did wrong? Did your opponent just play a great shot? You know, what happened? Um, if you won it, how did you win it? Ideally, if, if you won it, can you duplicate that effort? Did you attack their weakness? Um, and something that a stroke broke down? Did you just play a really tough and grinding point and, and you ended up winning it? Um, did they make a quick mistake? Um, so all those little things you really have to focus on. And I think if you can really keep yourself where you're focusing on the now, what am I trying to do right now and not what you want to have happen necessarily, that's going to help alleviate the nerves. Um, so for instance, if you're hitting a second serve and you start thinking about double faulting, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Um, so instead of thinking about double faulting or not double faulting, um, you give yourself one or two things to focus on. It might be keep your head up and and accelerate with spin, or it might be where are you going to place your toss. We um, you just give yourself one or two things to focus on that will help you to accomplish that goal, but where you're not focusing on just the result in in itself. Right. And I really love your approach, Keith, about just thinking about one thing at a time. Because I read a study, I can't remember exactly uh, by whom it was, but it basically said we can't really multitask. We only just do things at a less efficient pace or, well, efficiency, I'd say. But, um, you know, just concentrating on one thing at a time, um, whether it's in a match or improving your game, just focus on one thing and, and do it right and... I think that'll be the best way to uh, proceed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, well, now I'd like to ask you a bit about a scenario that every player encounters losing. So, you know, if you play a match, tough match, and you lose it, what is the optimum uh, optimal approach? If you've just lost a match, what do you need to do after you lose in order to pick yourself up and, and improve from that loss? Well, you know, a, a lot of the... Um Legwork is done actually before the match and going into any match that you're playing. Actually, when you're competing in general, you should always have specific goals set for yourself. For instance, when you guys play, when you play for me, you probably remember this. You guys always had to fill out a goal sheet. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I learned from um, one of my mentors, a guy named Lenny Sherman. And um, he would always have us fill out goal sheets and the goal sheet would we, we would fill out our long range goals, our short range goals, and our immediate goals. And the ones that are most important 
are your immediate goals because those are the ones that you're working on every single day, be it practice or be it in match play. Um, so you go into a match, you want to give yourself little, little things. You can be, it, it can be as, as detailed as you wish. The more detailed, better. Um, but just little things that you're looking to focus on that you have direct control over that will help you be successful in the match. It might be getting in percent, a high percentage of your first serves. Um, to be more specific, I'd like to get in 75% of my first serves. It could be I really want to work, make sure that I'm being assertive and when I get a short ball, um, looking to come in and take advantage of it or looking to come into net um, when I get a short ball or just anything. I mean, it's just a myriad of different things that a player might be looking to focus on that will help them um, be successful. And so after that match, you instead of, yes, it's, it's very natural to feel um, you're not going to feel as good when you, when you, when you lose as opposed to if you were to win, that's, that's natural. And if you're a competitor, you know, that's, that's, that's a good thing, but you have to look at it concretely and begin to figure out, okay, what, because in every match that you play, there's something that you did well. There was something that you did well. And so you use your goal sheets to really keep you focused on that. Um, and so afterwards you look and say, did I accomplish this goal, that goal, this goal, that goal? Why was I not able to win this match? If I had to play it again, how would I do, how would I play this differently? And uh, a good thing to do is to keep a, keep a little journal. And if you're a little bit too emotional after the match, maybe once things have settled down a little bit, you can write in it. Or right after the match, you can write something. And even if you are emotional, but then maybe afterwards, um, you know, when you had a chance to sort of calm down and, and take a look, uh, maybe then revise your uh, your viewpoints on that match as well. But that's a good thing to do as well, sort of keeping a journal. It can really help to illuminate things, particularly when you begin to look at it. You can begin to see certain patterns. Um, but mm -hmm. if you write them down and then that can really help you to self-correct sometimes some of the things that you might be doing that aren't uh, allowing you to have the success that you'd like to have in match play. So does that sort of answer the question? Oh, that definitely does, Keith. Um, okay. Just, again, wonderful advice. And I, I want to speak a bit about when you mentioned how important it is to set goals. There was an article that I wrote called 30 College Tennis Coaches Reveal Top Character Traits of Successful Student-Athletes. And clearly I'm, you know, a bit partial, but one of my favorite responses was from Keith. And, you know, I got tons of responses, about 16 of them from the top 20 ranked schools. But I just want to uh, mention a part of your response. And it says, one of the most important character traits is the ability to set goals and to follow them. Setting your goals is your roadmap, your blueprint, your GPS to your success. Without setting goals, an athlete is just getting exercise and not truly focused on the task at hand. And then I love this part that you ended with, which, you know, Keith coaches the Naval Academy. He says, people without goals are like a ship with no rudder. The seas will then take them wherever the wind and or waves will take them. Just a, a, a really wonderful advice from Keith. And, and you can find that at uh, tennisfiles.com slash character. So again, you know, setting goals and striving to achieve them and being passionate about 
what you're doing is just uh, unbelievably important. Um, and so thanks for that, Keith. So, Keith, I, I just want to ask you a little bit about your uh, college coaching experience. Clearly, you're you know, unbelievably and incredibly successful coach and great, great person and mentor. Tell me about one of your most memorable you know, experiences being a college coach. Well, I've had many. You know, I think just recently, one highlight was um, this past year, you know, at the academy, we beat Army for the first time. You know, this was a, a team. And just to give you a little bit of background, I, I'm the first and thus far the only coach that the Naval Academy women's tennis program has had. We started to team off scratch. We were a club team when I first took the position eight years ago. And uh, we went out, recruited kids and started the team up you know, after a year. And then we hit the ground running. Um, we won over we've averaged 20 wins a, year, a season during our time there. So we had success right away. Um, the other service academies, they've had women at the, uh, at their, I'm sorry, they've had a tennis team as long as women have been admitted um, into the service academies. Uh, so I think they both, Air Force and Army started them in around 76 or 77. And the coach at Army has been there 17 years. And the woman at Air Force has been there probably around the same time as well. So we were the new kid on the block and we had a brand, brand new team, very young team. And we took our lumps. <laughs> we, uh, they beat us, you know, six times in a row. And, um, the first three or four, it was in the finals of our conference championship. And then, um, after year three or four, we started playing them in a dual match. And so they beat us in the first, um, we call it an in-star match. Um, so well, the star match. So they beat us in the first one that was up at West Point. And then the, the next year they beat us at, at Navy. And then they beat us again, um, that same year, um, in the semifinals of the conference championship. So we had lost to them six times in a row. And, um, so that was, that was, the match was absolutely riveting. Um, they probably had about 300 or so people. Wow. Um, in their tennis center, um, it came down to the final match. Um, young lady, uh, Claudia McKenzie, who's a freshman from uh, that. To, well, she's a uh, sophomore now. We call them youngsters. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but then she was a freshman or plebe. And uh, it came down to her match. And the match, uh, the young lady from Army was, uh, was from Texas. And everybody in that place was watching that one match. And at times it got so loud that. I screamed uh, with screaming encouragement from my player. I couldn't hear myself. I couldn't hear myself. I wow. screamed as loud as, and I screamed as loud as I could. That's how that's how loud it was. So, just the energy and um, the enthusiasm, and it, it's something that it, it's just it just makes the hairs on your neck stand up. You just get goosebumps. Um, so that was one that really stands out. At UMBC, probably the one that stood out the most was, again, one of the first. It was the first time um, my ladies' team won a conference championship. And in, in that one, um, we really had been – we just moved to this conference. We moved to the conference, um, and we were the uh, – we were in the bottom, bottom of the conference. You know, every single year, both the men's and the women's teams. And 
Um, we slowly got better. We started getting more and more scholarship money because we, there was a Southern conference and, you know, the tennis down South is tennis and golf are the king, king tennis, golf and, and baseball are, are the, uh, kings for uh, spring sports. They don't normally now it's, it's changed a bit, but back then they didn't really have lacrosse to compete. So they put their money into those three sports. And so some of the teams we were playing against were fully funded, and we, we were not. We, we, we had very little scholarship money, but gradually they started giving us a little bit more scholarship money. And so our very last year uh, in the conference, before we changed conferences, we made it to the finals. And I'll sort of give the abbreviated version. Um, we had a very young team. We had uh, four freshmen that were starting. Um, the young lady, Be- Becky Niles, was our only senior. And then we had a sophomore, if I remember correctly, who was playing number five. So, so very, very young team. And uh, the team we were playing had beaten us during the regular season. And uh, we go to play the final, and we got bad news. One of our players, a young lady named Karen Priangley, who was from the Ellicott City area, she actually had graduated high school a year early. So she she was supposed to be a senior in high school. Well, her what should have been her classmates had gone down to Florida for a, um, a senior week activity and tragedy had taken place. Um, they were attempting to help these young ladies who these young boys were um, harassing and the young boys went and got their brothers and the brothers came back and attacked them wow. and uh, actually killed one of her friends wow. and one of the others um, stabbed him. Uh, they stabbed the one guy to death, and the other Gosh. one they, they uh, stabbed multiple times. And um, she just she was supposed to be there. She would have been there with them. And we got this information the night before we were ready to play the final. And we did not think that she was going to be able to play. I mean, we, we didn't expect her to play. Uh, we said, don't worry about playing. Um, there's so much bigger issues that you know you're dealing with. And her parents came down. Some of the other parents came down as well to provide support. So that's the backdrop under which the final was being played. Here it is now. We're playing the biggest match of the year for our you know, our young team. She decided to play. Um, we subsequently then lost the doubles point right away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're down 1-0 uh, right away. And um, we regroup. And it was because of her. She played the most courageous match that I've ever seen hmm. collegiately. Um, the young lady she had, she was playing had beaten her during the regular season and had beaten her straight sets. Uh, she gave the girl three games in two sets. Wow. And that is what spurred on the rest of the team to victory. And that's when we won our first championship. And I can tell you after both time, both of the stories I just told you, I cried after both of them. <laughs> I'm big enough, I'm mad enough to tell you that I cried, <laughs> particularly the first one because it was just everybody was crying. Um, I'm sorry, especially the the second one that I was telling about. Everybody was crying because it was such a uh, just the emotions were just running so high, just knowing the backdrop under which the match was being played. So those are some of my. Uh, there are so many others, but those are two that sort of stand out. Yeah, well, that's, those stories, especially the second one, are just incredible. And I know that that's why, it, you know, you keep coaching because it's just so inspiring to coach these kids to be successful and to see them persevere over all sorts of different adversity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Keith, it was an amazing ride with you on the team. In 2007, uh, you know, the men, we were uh, conference champions, got to the NCAA yep. tournament. Yep. Never forget it. I still got the ring, you know, I wear it sometimes. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> Excellent. Me too. Excellent. And that's one that I didn't talk about. Yeah, as, as I said, there are so many others. Oh, I don't of course. For your your listeners with uh, you know with my stories, but <laughs> there, there are so many others that I can tell. Um, there was people like like you, you know, you, you've given me props, but I, I can tell you, um, you guys, as much as you say I've made a difference in your lives, each and every one of you <clears throat> has enriched mine. And, and really has helped to give my life purpose um, because, you know, we as human beings, you know, we're put on, you know, this earth to, to serve. I mean, not to, to be served, but to serve. And you guys have just given my life a purpose. And there are others who helped me to get to where I am. And I feel like it's my job to do the same for others. So anything that I can do to help ten- using tennis as a vehicle to help make them a better person, a better husband, a better father, a better wife a better uh woman um you know that's 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 my that's my purpose in life so keith yeah you're, oh, thank you oh no thank you keith you're you're such an amazing guy um you know your goal is to help everybody not just you know in the game of tennis but in life and it's tough for me not to praise keith i mean going back to navy women's tennis you know in just eight years you're you're cleaning the slate in the conference and it's just an amazing accomplishment all these fantastic uh, victories that you've had and uh, triumphs and you've affected so many people's lives. We thank you for that. And Keith, uh, my family and I really love you. And, uh, you know, we just want to thank you and your family for everything. And thanks so much just for being on the podcast, being my first guest. It is truly an honor to have you. I think it's only appropriate that we have Keith on the show. And thank you. Yeah, thanks for everything. Keith, is there any uh, contact information you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah, so they can contact me. Um, my email address is, and I'm not, uh, you know, as, as connected, <laughs> you know, as well. So, you know, we, we do have a, um, a Twitter page at the Academy. It's just Navy Women's Tennis. Um, Facebook page as well. I think the two of them are actually linked. Same thing, Navy Women's Tennis. So they can, they can get in touch with me there. Uh, but if they want to use um, a, a little bit more archaic method, uh, <laughs> you can send me an email. Email address is just P-U-R-Y-E-A-R, and it's at usna.edu. And so if we're using you know, any of those, they can, they can definitely uh, reach me. Fantastic, Keith. Well, thanks again for being a great coach and mentor. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Hopefully, we can talk to you again sometime. All the best to you, your family, and Navy Tennis. Say hi to Allie and Carmen for me. And, uh, you know, the best of luck with everything. Um, All right. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. Thank you, Keith. Really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it, too. You take care now. All right. You, too. Bye-bye. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Keith Perrier. There was a lot of great information that Keith shared with us, which I hope you will take to heart. Just think about the tips he told you. And choose at least one thing, whether it's his approach to the game, one of his drills, or anything that he mentioned on the show, and take action. And I'm sure if you do that, you're going to improve your game by leaps and bounds. Uh, you can also get the show notes and any links mentioned on this episode at tennisfiles.com two. If you like this episode, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the show. 
and I encourage you to download a copy of my free ebook, The Building Blocks of Tennis Success. My ebook shows you how to approach the game. It talks about nutrition, fitness, finding the best practice partners, goal setting, and more. So I think it would be a really great idea if you went to tennisfiles.com slash ebook and downloaded my free ebook that I've written for you guys. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to email me at mirban at tennisfiles.com. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N at tennisfiles.com. Cheers to you all and your tennis success. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.